Welcome to The Village Lantern, a podcast for families living with hidden challenges, such as autism and other neurodiverse conditions, and for anyone else wanting to understand, love, and support. Our mission is to build understanding, empathy, and love for families living with one or more children who have hidden conditions that make life harder in one way or another. We call this Extra Zing. Some people will say football clubs and sporting clubs should just focus on what they do. Um, and that's easy to say, but it's really, really hard to live because the audience that we have, the, the responsibility, but also the influence that we have. So you're either you know, stand for something or you stand for nothing. Episode one, community leaders lighting the way, the Hawthorne Football Club. The Hawthorne Football Club has social inclusion as a key pillar of their community strategy. CEO Justin Reeves and General Manager of Foundation and Community Kerry Brewer joined us to talk about their role as community leaders and the responsibilities that come with having the influence over a significant proponent of Victoria and broader Australia and their admirable and innovative social inclusion initiatives. Hey, Jordan. Hey, hey, Anna. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? I am feeling very excited about today because this is this is the podcast, the Hawthorne Footy Club from a lifelong Hawks fan. This was always a big dream of mine, so I'm excited for people to hear it. I love how, I mean, I totally respect other people's passion for footy. It's not so much my thing, but I totally get it. You know, though, my daughter is obsessed As is my husband. So the fact that in my family this was a big deal, for you it was a big deal, it's a big deal. Oh, absolutely. And that's all what this podcast is about, you know, lots of enthusiasm, positivity around the Hawks footy club. Not so much about their results on field, but the amazing stuff they're doing around it is, it really is inspiring. And I'm proud. I was proud to be a fan before, especially with the three-peat. But I was prouder, prouder after this interview finding out about the amazing stuff they're doing. Yeah. So the joy of this conversation is that we've got a community leader who's leading the way because they believe it's the right thing to do. And that's what's so inspiring and was such a great reason to get them to join us. Absolutely. Hopefully after this, we have a few more footy fans and a few more disability advocates. (laughs) Go the Hawks. Go the Hawks. Enjoy the episode. So today we have a very special extra guest here who wanted to ask some specific questions to the Hawks leaders. So we've got Millie here. Hi, Millie. Hello. How are you? Good. How old are you, Millie? Ten. Millie. And do you love the Hawks? Yes. How much? A lot. What's your favourite thing about the Hawks? Um, Everything. Everything. Okay. Have you got a favourite player? John Burgoyne. Why is he your favourite? Because he's the oldest. The oldest? Why does that make him your favourite? Because he's still a good player. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Hey, Millie, did you know that we're interviewing the Hawks, the boss of the Hawks today and one of the other leaders who help with all community work? So I thought you might, I know you have to go to school today, but I thought you might like to ask a question. Have you got a question for the boss of the Hawks? Why do people have to be so racist? Mm, such a hard one, isn't it? And do you think the Hawks could, could do something about it? Yes. What do you think they could do? Um, maybe stop the racism. Just stop the racism? Yeah. yeah. Be better for everyone, wouldn't it? Yeah. Have you got any other questions for the Hawks? I'm not quite sure. Did you have a question about the players? 
Oh, yeah. Do they eat healthy food every yeah. day? Yeah, I, I bet you they do, but why don't we ask them? Have you got any other questions about the 2020 season? Um, do you think we'll have a grand final? Yeah, lots of people are wondering that. Okay, well, you go off to school then, all right? And maybe next time we can get you on for a bit longer. What do you say? Yes. Okay. Bye, darling. Bye. Welcome to Justin Reeves and Kerry Brewer from the Hawks Football Club. I can't really explain how exciting this is for most people in my home, including Jordan. Yeah. There's many, Thanks many Hawks well. fans. Oh, that's good. Um, thanks for having us. It's such yeah. a pleasure. No, no, thanks. We're really excited. So, um, as you know, the purpose of this podcast is to bring light and love to families living with hidden challenges or disabilities, and that may range from autism or ADHD or severe anxiety or OCD, other kind of issues that you don't see, but when someone's suffering from them, it makes it you know significantly harder for them to do things that otherwise shouldn't be too hard. Um, and we were very excited to hear about some of the work that you've been doing at the Hawthorne Football Club. Um, so we're looking forward to hearing about that from you. But I would like to start with asking um, how you respond to the fact that as a football club of one, of one of Melbourne's most followed teams, how do you own that responsibility of influence and your ability to really change social norms and attitudes and values across the club? Yeah, well, I think as a, as a footy club um, and really as a, as a brand which is really big in Melbourne, you have to understand the privilege um, of your position um, and we understand the power um, of our brand and the cut through that we get um, compared to others who, who would love to be able to have that audience. Um, and really it's about us being that vehicle then to facilitate sustainable sort of social and cultural change within our community. Um, when we really embrace that responsibility. And we've seen that over time as you've, it's been quite clear that over time expectations of young men and their behaviour on and off the field has really, um, the pressure has really lifted. And I think we've seen some fantastic shifts in in, in owning that responsibility. Um, but what are the other ways that you see that your um, influence can actually have other impacts in society? Yeah, well, I, I think we um, we bring in, you know, 40 young men, um, into an organisation and also, you know, 100 staff. And um, these guys are given the opportunity that, that few others are, you know, so it's really about us educating and preparing them to, 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 to be that influence and that role model in the community, uh, which is an unbelievable experience and makes better people. Um, whether they become great footballers or good footballers or short-term footballers, one of the responsibilities we're aware of is to actually make them better people and they can actually do things in the community they thought they would never, ever be able to cut through and never be able to achieve. Do you think these young players understand the responsibility when they come on in their first years? Is it, oh, yeah, I've come on, it's all about footy, or do they get that they're coming into an organisation that has a larger following and impact than just just the game on the Saturday afternoon or Sunday, either? Yeah, I think for, you know, my time in the game, I've seen that football's come in there, they're very, you know, very unaware of, uh, of the contribution they can make. Um, and, you know, usually they're singly focused on becoming a footballer. Um, and you get into a footy club and, you know, lucky enough every year you bring in seven or eight new players and those that have come before have had the experience and the wisdom. So they were able to pass that on and actually it takes a year or two when these young players actually start, the light bulb goes off and they start to think, wow, this is, um, this is actually an amazing opportunity that I've got here. And, and you know, most, um, not all, but most really buy into that and uh, that's one of the most pleasing things to see. And where does the, the social action responsibility in sport and obviously footy come from and start and who pushes that? I mean, you know, 
uh, at, there was a time when sport was just about kicking the balls and that was it. Um, where did this growth come from and who's driving it? Well, I, I think, you know, some people will say football clubs and sporting clubs should just focus on what they do. Um, and that's easy to say, but it's really, really hard to live because the audience that we have, and the, the responsibility, but also the influence that we have. So you either you know, stand for something or you stand for nothing. Um, and I think that football clubs probably for the last, you know, 20, 30 years have been professional organisations. And, and so when you become a professional organisation and you're responsible for your employees, but also for, the, for some of the cultural change and some cultural awareness that's out there, um, it's really, really important to play your role. And I think footy clubs, you know, all football clubs have community departments now. Um, they wouldn't have had that previously. And so I think it's it's been a bit of an all-in um, model where I think everyone understands the difference that can be made. So the commitment to make that difference needs, needs to sort of be dialled up. I think community's also asking, aren't they? Kerry, what do you think? Yeah, I would say we're really strong in the community space and it's driven by a desire to make a real difference. Um gone are the days where the community department um, equals fan development and getting members. It's really about having an impact in the community and providing some outcomes. So our community partnerships, uh, they're, they're long and they're lengthy and they're um, about making a difference. So we've been working with Beyond Blue in the mental health space for more than 15 years, probably back in the days when mental health wasn't talked about. So it was all about creating awareness rather than behaviour change. We've partnered with the FIDA, which is the um, Football Integration Development League, since 1989, and they're for kids with intellectual disability to play football. And we've been working in the Big Rivers community in the Northern Territory in our Indigenous space for more than 10 years. So we have long, long history in the community space and the, the pillars of Indigenous engagement, mental health and social inclusion are driven by the culture at Hawthorne and also our values and our commitment to really make a difference to the areas of the greatest need. And when you're coming to address these different areas and you've partnered with so many amazing organisations, is that something that you are proactively deciding and doing meetings of what areas we want to go into or is this something coming from the fans, coming from the community? Um, we looked at our community strategy over two years ago and we put everything up on a wall and decided that we couldn't be everything to everyone and we wanted to do things that really made a difference but also were true to Hawthorne and our three pillars came out of that. We were already doing it but we were doing some other things as well and what we found was really important within each of those pillars was to have community consultation. So in our inclusion, social inclusion pillar, we have a um, steering committee made up of over 60% of people with a disability. So they tell us um, or guide us, I guess, through our programs. In the Indigenous pillar, we have our RAP steering committee who guide us and challenge us on what we're doing in the Indigenous space. And in the um, mental health pillar, we have a youth advisory committee and they're made up of all young people and telling us what we should and shouldn't do or what we should and shouldn't look at but our programs are all strength-based and they're advised by members of the community. That's awesome. I love that. I think there is definitely a movement of human-centred design, isn't it, and getting the, the, the people who we're talking about in the middle of the conversation. We've got a real commitment to making sure that a, a good representation of our guests also live with some of the conditions that we're talking about for the very same reason, you know, it's not really for us to tell them how they feel. Yeah, and I think one of the guiding principles that, um, that Kerry's introduced, which we support and it came through some of the research that we did, was that any community program that we go into has to be, to, to, to really deliver value to that program, 
not so much for our brain. Mm. You know, so if we're doing things for others um, and, we can, and we can actually see the value in there, it's so much more powerful than if we're doing things to make us look good. Oh, absolutely. You know? But it's still aligned to your values though, isn't it? Oh, it's so completely that's, aligned that, to our values really, and it has to be, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Is, is that difficult though, being, you know, being CEO and, and, and GM of the foundation and community, you know, you've got such responsibility on the club and on the players and, and the brand and wins and is it hard having that balance and and being, you know, responsible over so much? I think it's really important that you partner with the right people. So um, what we won't do is pretend that we know everything about everything and will and be able to activate those programs. One of the things that we know is that our brand will help drive those, the, the awareness of those programs. So we partner with, you know, in, in all of our pillars, we partner with the people that we think are the best in that in that field so we can add value to them to deliver the programs, but then also to uh, be able to speak on those programs and drive awareness. And so that's the decision-making. Can we make a difference? If it's yes, let's do this and let's do it 100%. It's so exciting to hear the way that you talk, the passion behind it and to sort of imagine what might be ahead. I've mentioned that my family is very committed Hawks fans. One, yeah, <laughs> one in particular, um, our daughter Millie, who has autism, spectrum disorder, and her special interest is actually the Hawks. So I think I mentioned to you she's obsessed with, she knows the players, she knows the ladder, she knows the draw, she knows injuries. I have to say to her, we don't celebrate other teams' injuries because <laughs> she'll say they'll be out for six weeks and, you know. Um, but the other thing that we were so thrilled to hear about was the sensory room that you've established at the MCG. I wonder, Kerry, if you can tell us a little bit about where that came from, you know, what what the intention was and, and how it's working. Yeah, we wanted to be a football club for all. So our mantra, it's in our song, is one for all and all for one. So to ensure that when people came to the football, they had an amazing experience um, and that they actually chose to come and enjoy the football rather than stay at home because um, it wasn't an environment for them. So we partnered with Afford and created the sensory space and Afford are leaders in this space. So they helped us set it up so that it had little um, sections. It was sectioned off and anyone could come and be a part of the room. So we had an amazing response in the first couple of games. And we had opposition supporters come and spend time in the sensory space. We had families that had never been able to come to the football before together. Um, The football was on in the background, but there was all different sections. There was a quiet space. There was an activity space. Um, You could do whatever you wanted in the sensory room because it was a safe place. So we found that we didn't get different people to the football, but we were more inclusive in that families could come together and not leave someone at home or not stay at home. Um, and they could be there for the whole game in the sensory space. And the process of creating the, the sensory space, what was that like? Who did you consult? What were the things you were considering? I mean, it's a, it's a delicate and complex undertaking. What was the process in that? So Justin spoke before about we partner with the experts, so afford with the experts in the space and we understand we're a football club. So they advised us on, um, I guess, what went in a sensory room that um, people could enjoy themselves, that it was something for everyone. Can you tell us who Afford is for people who don't know? Yeah, so Afford are the Australian Foundation for People with a Disability. Wonderful. And do people that work there, they also live with disability themselves? Is that Some do yep. and some don't. So the ones that we deal with to help set up the sensory room are people employed within the organisation that have social service degrees or specific degrees um, relative to their work, I guess, but we have people within our organisation, within our club that have a disability or we don't 
like to refer to it as a disability. We just refer to their ability, I guess. It's such a funny one. So I've just started listening to Dylan Orcott's um, podcast, which is really worth mm, a listen. Fantastic. And they decide to take the word disability back and to own it. So he says, I'm not ashamed of having, I say I'm disabled, I'm not ashamed of it. But I think it's really interesting because I always have been hesitant to use the word with my daughter because I from a mindset perspective, I don't want her to think that she can't do anything. But I am starting to wonder, like, if we just take the the kind of negative connotation away from the word, then maybe people would accept it without having to, I don't know. There's something about the word which is, um, I think, still up in the air. That's why our programs are um, strength-based. They're A, easier for our players to be a part of. They talk to the strength of the character as opposed to the disability within the character, and it promotes social capacity, social connectedness and inclusiveness. I think it's really interesting um, bringing up Dylan Alcott because I don't know if you guys have seen, but he's put out a thing in the last few days basically saying that the US Open um, are deciding what they're going to do and if they're going to cancel, if they're going to go ahead and they're consulting all of the big players. And he said that, you know, not one person um, in in the wheelchair community has been consulted. He's, you know, he's, you know, one of the best in the world for a while and he hasn't had one conversation, but they're deciding if he's going to, play if he's not going to play if he's going to get paid and he's saying you know this is this is ridiculous that we are being completely excluded from the conversation because what because I have a disability because I'm you know on the periphery now you you are in complete control of if I make a living or not and I think it's it's really interesting that that Anna brought brought him up in the space because I think that's amazing what you guys were mentioning earlier about how when you make these decisions you consult with the experts but also involve people who are involved in what is undertaking yeah um, it's a really interesting time at the moment with COVID-19. And we spoke before about once you're all in, you're all in. Um, you know, we, we all found ourselves in a situation where, um, you know, we went from, you know, we went from having 141 staff uh, one day to the next day, unfortunately, having you know, about 100 less than that um, with, with wow. the amount of people on, that will have, unfortunately have to be stood down. But the club needs to preserve uh, the DNA of the club. Um, and one of the things that people would assume is that you know the community space, for instance, would be just pushed aside because it wasn't called business, and that doesn't suit um, the values of the club. So we have to make sure that we shrink. You know, unfortunately, we have to shrink the club very quickly, but we're able to to make sure we manage all aspects of the club. So the community program and, and Kerry's role, obviously, was to focus on that. Now Kerry's team obviously became much smaller, but the focus remained the same. That, I mean, that just sounds crazy. Yeah, not, not a great situation and really unfortunate. Are there any in this difficult time, um, been any silver linings or things that you guys have felt has been uh, areas you've been able to see more clearly or structures that have been more defined, any, any silver linings? We found that it's vitally important to continue our community work during this time because often they're the groups of greatest need um, that we deal with, Indigenous um, those with a disability, those that have um, mental health issues, especially mental health crosses over over all three of our pillars. This COVID time is probably bringing that to light more than ever. And we were working in not just the awareness space, but the behavioural change space for a long time. But what it's highlighted is that community consultation is vitally important. It goes back to Mel's comment of don't make decisions about me without me, which is, I guess, to Dylan's point. Um, that it's really important. It doesn't cost money to consult with a community. So that's been a really important um, driver for us during this time. Even with less staff, we still consult with our groups that help us, I guess, um, 
really identify our key objectives, the research that underpins those objectives, why we're doing it and how we can have the greatest need with the greatest impact. Does the AFL make any statements about expectations of clubs in any in community or any other, I mean, probably behaviour, but any, any, anywhere else? Um, probably they don't, they don't have a say over um, what, I guess, our um, community pillars are. We try and engage them all the time. We have the Beyond Blue Cup, which we would love to be an industry-wide round that every club plays from um, the Beyond Blue Cup, which is mental health and mental um, well-being. That's probably a work in progress, but we definitely, I guess, make our own decisions, but are more inclusive across the league. The, the wider your base is, the more impact you're going to have. So you don't necessarily work in a silo and you've got a great ability to be able to influence, and especially in this social inclusion space with our sensory room and our program that we were hoping to launch this year, the Hidden Disabilities Program, we hope to be able to roll that out across all clubs um, within the next couple of years. We don't necessarily need to own it, but we can be the leaders um, to create change. I think that's where it really demonstrates that you're coming from the heart because when you come up with a good idea, you know that the impact of it will be broader if it's not just yours. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, sure. Kerry, can you chat with us a little bit more about the Hidden the hidden Disabilities Program? Yeah, so before COVID, we were hoping to launch the Hidden Disabilities Program at our match days this year in Melbourne and in Tasmania. And it's never it's a program that's never been done before in sport, so we were pretty excited. We worked in consultation with um, Melbourne Airport and Launceston Airport, who are delivering the program at the moment. Um, we haven't been able to launch it and we hope that it's something we can probably do next year. But it's a really simple program that welcomes those with hidden disabilities to the football. So a lot of the time and the research shows that um, one in five people have a disability, but the majority of them are hidden. So we have a sunflower lanyard that you get through our um, membership department and that gets sent out to you and your family. And it, we don't ask you what your disability is. It doesn't matter. And When you wear that to the football, we have welcome staff who meet you at every gate and those welcome staff have a disability. So it's about building community capability and capacity within the community, but also within the employment sector at Hawthorne to be able to employ people with a disability. Do you hire (laughs) 10-year-olds? I mean, that's the stuff that makes clubs really proud to to be involved. I've got goosebumps. That That is perfectly designed for my child. She would just need... You know, just check-ins along the way, make sure she's, if her anxiety's up, just that sort of thing would make an enormous difference. It's such a good idea. And they're easily recognisable because they've got the sunflower lanyard so you don't have to ask any questions and we train and employ the people within the program and they are there to welcome them, um, to show them where the sensory room is, provide headphones if they need headphones. Sometimes someone told us that they prefer to listen to an analogue radio if they're blind, so... When you listen on your phone, there's a delay. So all little bits and pieces that make your journey to the football more inclusive. And a social story goes with that so that you know how to get there and where to go before you actually arrive. Yeah, and it's about the inclusion. So, you know, as a football club, we know that, you know, we stand for that everyone um, is welcome and everyone, we encourage everyone, and whether that be sort of, you know, Men, women, boys, girls, and that's one of the reasons we're, we're so we're driving our, our women's football program so strongly. But that anyone um, who comes into our environment feels welcome, and we and we do everything we can to make them feel welcome, and that's sort of what underpins all of those sort of activities. And I think that's that's amazing. I mean, for for children, their their first, their earliest 
mentor role models could be, you know, their sports star and in Australia and in Melbourne, you know, your, your favourite footy player and and opening that up more to, to girls now as well and being able to really push that, you know, we can inspire good and your favourite player doesn't need to be someone that just, you know, is someone you think looks good playing, can be someone that really is, is teaching you the right things and, and being a good mentor. And for kids who have additional needs, who struggle to connect with people and who struggle to, to find support, you know, is, is really amazing. And, and Anna, how does that, you know, how does that make you feel having a child who has additional needs, who, you know, looks for mentors and looks up these kinds of programs, what does it feel for now and, and for the future? Well, I mean, it's, I, I was saying before we started recording that our daughter is, um, her special interest is the Hawks, but she's also very quickly cottoned on to the idea of the social role. So the um, she watched the Adam, Adam Goods film and she's very distressed about it, really distressed about racism and it's become another kind of area of almost obsession for her to understand. And I, she, she does have a question um, which will get you to answer. Why do people have to be so racist? Yeah, well, at Hawthorne, I mean, it's something that we take really very seriously and uh, we don't stand for any form of racism and we'll do whatever we can to, to stamp it out. Uh, we embarked on a journey a couple of years ago around a reconciliation action plan but more, more than that around the, um, our actions and how we can actually you know, play our part in, in stopping all forms of, of racism. And in round two this year, um, Hawthorne players, amongst other clubs, wore the black T-shirts during the warm-up and took a knee pre-game in, in a league-wide show of solidarity with the AFL's Indigenous players and, and all people of colour. And we, we very much supported that. Uh, these actions were a powerful statement from all the clubs and one that sparked an important conversation amongst uh, our playing group but the whole industry. As a club, we want to ensure we continue to listen, uh, lead and, and learn more. That's, you know, that, that was sort of round two, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, so following on from that, we, uh, we've had much discussion internally around what can we actually do as a club to ensure our actions did not end at, at that gesture. We must continue to stand alongside our Indigenous players and their families and, and key stakeholders in ending racism, and we must do so constantly. We can't have a, a token gesture and then, uh, you know, celebrate that and move on. We don't stand for that. We, we need to continue to walking our path towards reconciliation and uh, we know that there's so many things that, that happen within the club at the moment to support that, but we need to continually increase that. You know, we, we, will, we will continue and as much as we do at the moment, it's decided that all players, coaches and staff at Hawthorne will take uh, part in a tailored cultural awareness program um, over the next six weeks. The training is to ensure that as a collective, we are better informed regarding the inequities and injustices faced by Indigenous brothers and sisters how current issues are localised in our communities and country. Um, and that's something that you know, we're really, really passionate about. And, and, and I think it'll be a great experience, great opportunity and uh, for all of our people. And, we, and we'd love to be able to roll that more publicly as well for, mm. for Hawthorne people. Mm, that's fantastic. And that's within your realm as well, Kerry. Is that in your space? Yeah, well, that we look at as whole club. Mm. So it sits within the community pillars, sit within the community portfolio, but really they're it's whole of club, Indigenous social inclusion and mental health. We have guiding principles. Justin spoke to them within our community program and one of them is woven in, which means that it's completely woven in across all areas of the club. So it's integrated. So yeah, and We have incredible players, but also staff and supporters um, of the club and members of the club who are you know, Indigenous and, and not Indigenous who are finding this a really challenging time. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, so we need to be really responsible mm. and, and add to that and really support our people. And you have to act, don't you? Like as things become yeah. topical very quickly, yeah. you kind of have to You said you're running this course quite soon. Yeah. Just one thing, in that course, I think it's fantastic that it's based around Indigenous, but will the conversation also be for immigrants and other people who, yeah. you know, may yeah. not identify as Indigenous but yeah, still might suffer? So. Justin, you just described that your club very tragically had to be significantly cut down, but you obviously prioritise community. As CEO, what are your top two priorities for the club? I mean, the, the number one priority that I always have is, is that we're a club that makes a difference. Um, you know, we're a football club and we want to win premierships and that, that, you know, that's sort of always going to be our, our sort of core purpose. But we also have the responsibility that we spoke about that um, means that we actually have to be authentic. Um, we have to actually live by the values of the club. And, uh, and we have to you know, be able to make a difference to every, everybody that we engage with. You know, we, we're owned um, 100% by our, our members. Um, we have responsibility to our members to make them proud of, of what we achieve on and off the field. We have to look after the well-being and the welfare of all of our people, whether they be our members, our supporters, our players, our staff, our administration. I, you know, for me, the priorities are around the environment. I speak about the environment of making people feel welcome at the football. That environment's also about people coming to the workplace and and being looked after, mm. and that's about an environment that, that not only challenges people but gives people the opportunity to perform um, and make a difference. Mm. And and the game of football, I mean, we've chatted so much about how amazing the community organisation part of Hawthorne is. I mean, what you do is fantastic for inclusivity and really bringing people in. The game, though, the game of football, how how do you guys use that to really bring in people, like the, the teamwork skills, the sport? Is that also a device used to, to unite and, and bring in people who, you know, in other areas, you know, might not be able to connect to certain structures? Um, a great example of that is Ned, who works in our community team. He's full-time and he... Um, is blind. He's got um, only 10% vision and he plays in our um, AFL blind premiership winning team, actually. Um, nice one. Yeah, and I guess we, we're we really strong on um, engagement, participation, inclusion, diversity, equality across whole clubs. So that's in our AFL program, hopefully our AFLW program, which we're lobbying strongly for, our community programs, everywhere that underpins what we're doing across Holo Club, it's important that what we do on the field is a direct reflection of how we're genuine and authentic off-field. And I think we can we can use football to really tell those stories. So we've got another uh, young fella who's in our, our blind team, Sebi, and we did, you know, Sebi's been a much-loved part of the club through our blind team for the last couple of years. Um, and, in fact, we did a story on him at the football last year. We spent some time with the footy team and the players for a whole week it became the number one video across the whole AFL network for the year. Is so that on your website? It's on our website. We'll put a link yeah. to it in our show notes. But it's incredible. So the thousands and thousands of videos that are you know, come out of the AFL clubs around games and heroes and goals and all the things, the number one video for the whole of the year was a community-based video to show this young fella, Sebi, and the, the journey that, and the, but the, the players and the football club support for him and his love for the football club. And... You know, it was an incredible example of the difference that can be made. And, I mean, that's crazy. And that really shows you guys, like you said, you're 100% owned by the fans and the fans care. And it shows you're not just doing this because you think you're putting it out there and it's just a good thing. I mean, this response, like, it, clearly people love this this advocacy and this work and, and want to build that community and, and bring people in. 
It's amazing to hear about the success of, of the blind competition. It's no surprise that Hawthorne are at the top of that competition. No bias at all from my perspective. Yeah. Well, it's only a couple of years ago that Hawthorne had a, a, a men's team. You know, now these days Hawthorne has a, a men's AFL team and a men's VFL team, a women's VFL team, an AFL blind team, an AFL wheelchair team, um, netball teams, three you know, uh, women's netball teams. And so the family's much bigger, I mean, rep, much more representative of the total community than we once were. Have there been any conversations regarding uh, teens for intellectual disabilities? So we do a lot of work with FIDA, um, who are the League for Intellectual Disability within Victoria, and um, so much so that our players donated their AFL-PA cheque last year to the league to ensure that they had additional equipment, every single club in Victoria. So that's what we call woven in. They came to us and said, how can we help? So we'd love to continue our work in that space. The AFL do run a national inclusion carnival, which we play a huge role in, in ensuring Clarko sends messages to every team. They all receive um, packs from Hawthorne. It's country-wide, it's not Victoria-based, but we want them to feel included and, and part of the family. So we support the teams in the areas that we have the greatest focus. So that's where our Next Generation Academy programs are. So Tasmania... Victoria, Metro and Country and Northern Territory, we support those teams within the larger National Inclusion Carnival. Awesome. That is really, really cool. And the conversations that have been had have obviously been you know, incredibly well thought out and it's a, it's a topic of you know, much discussion. Has there been discussion about creating these structures that bring people together, so people who have intellectual disabilities together, people who are blind together, and then also ways to integrate it so that people are all together. I think that's obviously something, you know, some structures are great to bring people in and, and it's, you know, like-minded and like-ability. Then also the encouragement of eventually or in different ways bringing everyone together and interacting in the same space. Yeah, absolutely. Inclusiveness is a huge part of it. So um, our blind team know our wheelies team and they train at Hawthorne. So um, they train with... Well, they used to um, prior to COVID, but they trained in the gym space, the same as where our men's and women's team um, train as well. So they feel a part of it. It's important that what we're doing in the space is genuine. Yeah, they are a part of it. That absolutely sounds like it. Yeah, and they play against our first to fourth year players as well. So that they, I guess, get that understanding of what it's like. They either wear masks or they're in wheelchairs. So they understand um well, they have a small understanding of what it's like to play football, but to play football with a disability. So it's really important that these teams feel a part of the club and that they bring other people in. So the people that are going to work within our Hidden Disabilities Program, that creates a larger group that then we can deliver leadership, um, social connectedness, mental health and wellbeing programs too. So they don't just work at the football, they're a part of the club. Kerry, that sounds absolutely amazing and fantastic. So the players are actually from the, the senior team are, are play, getting in wheelchairs and, and getting in blindfolds to play against the blind and wheelchair team. Yeah, absolutely. They're a real, true, authentic part of our club and even our staff mid-year function last year was wheelchair footy. Wow. Um, and it's great because it equalised everyone. So yeah. Clarko wasn't as fabulous as what he thought he was going to be <laughs> um, because when you sit in a wheelchair, your ability is different to what you, when you're not um, standing on two legs. So it was a great opportunity for the club to see what it's like for our wheelchair players but also to empathise and be on the journey with them. And, and I think that's how far clubs have come. In previous years, your mid-season function would have been at a, you know, going out to a pub to sort of uh, celebrate and, 
and have a bit of a, a few hours off. Where last year, um, the whole staff and the whole coaching ranks was down at the at the, at the basketball centre, um, playing wheelchair football, you know, with the wheelchair with our wheelchair football players, and it was incredible. And you know, and our blind team won the grand final, and they came into the club. The whole um, the whole team came into the club, you know, to be presented with uh, an award to representing the club in front of everyone, and it was just you know such a, a, a proud moment. Amazing. Um, another question she had was, do they have to eat? Healthy food, the players all the time. Yeah, it's a really interesting question, and and yes, they do. Um, you know, when when the players come into our into our club, their physical and mental fitness are both two of the highest priorities. And around the physical, you know, there's all sorts of training regimes that they need to undergo, but a huge part of that is their is their dietary um, plan. And we have a full time um, dietitian who uh, works with the playing group. Um, you know, we, we were very aware that they're young young guys. And they need the flexibility, so it's not managed as, as probably as, as hard as it could be. But it's it's given the flexibility, but it's also given the really good advice. So um, kids will know that sugar's bad. Kids will know that sugar's bad. Um, yeah, there's no there's no doubt about that. The less sugar, but it's you know it's these guys are doing an incredible amount of training, mm-hmm. so they need to fuel their bodies with the right fuel. So it's easy to fuel your body with the wrong fuel, and the education comes around then is okay. We need to. You know, top up the petrol tank, but we need to make sure that what goes in there is, uh, is the right ingredients. Yeah, and that's um, another thing that kids can learn. You know, if you want to be really good at something, you have to commit from a health perspective, from a training perspective, and maybe not have things that you like so much. No, no, that's getting, exactly getting the 98, not the 95 unleaded, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and then her final question was, will there be a grand final in 2020? I think there'll, well, I can't say definitely, but... Yeah, 99.9% chance there will be a grand final. I and think that, yeah. will the Hawks be in it? Well, the Hawks plan on being in it. Don't worry about that. The, the Hawks have got um, firm plans on being there in the very, very last game of the year. Good. That's what I want to hear. How are the players, lastly? How are they going? It must be really tough for them. Oh, I think like everyone, the players have, have had a challenging time. You know, like we all have and, and all of our, you know, all of the whole community has. Um, the players are, they're, they're used to routine. Um, so you come into an AFL club and it's all about routine, routine, routine. And this year, the players have had to learn that the routine sort of went out the window a little early. I think that's an opportunity mm. to educate. And I think it's an opportunity to make our players better. Um, is that, you know, everything is not um, just prepared at 100% for you and, and, and you do the, the last 5%. The players have had to probably be much more hands-on, even with their own training and their dietary and all those sort of things themselves than they've ever been before. We think they've reacted really well. That's great. It must be really, especially the young ones. Yeah, and I think they understand that they're in a really fortunate position that the rest of society aren't in that they're able to go back to work and do what they love, albeit with some restrictions around them. So they understand that there's an opportunity for them to have a role in making people's lives during this time a little bit more enjoyable, albeit without crowds and what they would have been. Last one. Any interest in a 10-year-old statistician? (laughs) I think that we can see that I, you, I wonder if the statisticians that already work for you possibly are on the autism spectrum. Well, it's interesting. The, the, the AFL have a, um, an industry-wide st- statistician group, so Champion Data, um, are a, a, a group that, that, that manage all the statistics right across the competition for all the clubs but also all the media. Um, it all comes through a central thing and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly an area that's growing. Um, and the amount of people that go into the data analysis and the statistical management of clubs 
um, and the game itself is is something that we've seen huge growth in in the last few years. And I, and I expect that will continue as everyone tries to find that sort of last 2 or 3% of um, competitive advantage. Mm. I mean, it's just another opportunity to think about a different type of person that might be really good at yep. that kind of job. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we did some training last week with Get Skilled Access, Dylan Alcott's organisation, about making sure our employment policies and procedures are really open-minded and that we have the ability to make sure we employ people of all abilities, gender, race, that um, we've got a diversity and inclusion action plan, but to ensure that your disability can be your greatest strength Mm. as opposed to um, not being able to get a job because of it. And to the point of being woven in, it has, everybody has to understand that, not just the person perhaps hiring or the person doing the interviews every, so that everybody is on the same page. Yeah, it needs mm. to be part of what we do, mm. what we stand for. Mm. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. No, it was Thank a you. pleasure. Thank um, you. We'll um, look forward to the next um, few weeks and hopefully the games keep going. Um, and keep getting the wins. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, right. oh, that's yeah. Good. Had... it's always a nicer after a win. Especially last week. That was pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. This has been Justin Reeves and Kerry Brewer, and we really appreciate you guys coming in. I think we were aware of what footy clubs were doing, but I don't think we were this aware of how much you were putting in the time and the effort and really complex conversations to really address some things far bigger than football. So we thank you and, and the whole club on behalf of your efforts for what you're doing mm. for, for our communities. So thank you so much for the no, time. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.